you have your Bibles open right alongside me, James chapter 1, 26 and 27, you've seen kind of the theme that we're going to talk about this morning and we've, we've led us to this place in James chapter 1, 26 and 27. We've been led incredibly well, so let's open our Bibles, let's uh, have them out, let's look on the screens and let's follow along together, James chapter 1, 26 and 27. James writes, if anyone thinks, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Lord, we see your word, we recognize what it says in its simplest of terms. And so now we ask for your help in living it out in our world. As always, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of my heart in these moments, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord. You're my rock and you are my redeemer. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Well, this morning we read these verses in light of the context of where we've been. Right, this is where we know, and if you came in here, you knew that we finished up chapter, verse 25 last week, and here we are in verse 26 and 27. And so you've known that this is what was coming, and if we read it in the context by which it's written, it builds upon itself. You'll be reminded that a few weeks ago, we looked at receive with meekness, with humility, the word, and remove all moral filthiness and rampant wickedness, right? We talked about that extensively to receive with meekness the word and, and to remove all moral filthiness and receive with meekness the implanted word. We moved on from there and we, we talked about being doers of the word, not just hearers only. The importance of not just listening to God's word and hearing it, but doing what it says. And then we also talked about that pure and undefiled religion is to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I hope that you can see a pattern from James. That if we were just to look at verse 26 and 27, it would be fruitful and beneficial. But when we see it in light of all that James is writing, sentence by sentence, week by week, we see that they build upon it to give it even more weight, to give it even more help for us to not just be hearers of the word that listen in our religiosity, but that we would do what the word calls us to do. We see a clear pattern here that this morning we must examine. So let's start with number one on our outline. I'm going to give us three questions. I'm going to lob myself a couple softballs and maybe I can hit a few singles here. Number one, what is pure and undefiled religion? That's our first question. What is pure and undefiled religion? Now, I don't want you to think that I'm skipping over verse 26. 26 says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle or control his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is, what does your Bible say? Mine says, worthless. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to look at James chapter 3, that we'll talk a lot about controlling our tongue. And we're going to put this verse alongside that one. So I don't just want to skip over it. What I want us to recognize is what James is trying to give us. And that if we're going to talk a big game about our religion and what we know about the God's word and what, uh, what our religion shows us, but it has no impact on our tongue. If we read the gospel, if we know the gospel up here, but it has no impact on us, then it's really, it's worthless. It has no weight. It has no power in us. 
And so James is telling us, if we think we're religious, yet we cannot control our tongue and are deceiving our heart, this person's religion is worthless. And it's here in this talk about a person's religion being worthless that James would move to verse 26. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled is to do this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. So then what is pure and undefiled religion? We talk a lot in church and, and around the Christian realm that Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. And I think this is a fantastic verbiage that we use. Religion as a Christianity is not a religion so much as it is a relationship that we don't seek after a religion to do the routines and the the structures of religion to find God. We find God and it fuels the relationship to do the things that he's called us to do. I wanna put this in context for a moment. Let's say that you were to leave here today and, and you decided, you know what, it's time. It's time for me to get in shape. It's time for me to get my body in order. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down to the Y and I'm gonna employ a personal trainer who I'm gonna meet with three times a week for an hour. And let's say the time has hit you and you know this is my time. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to start lifting weights. My body is going to go uh, from dough to swole and I'm going to get up there and I'm going to get my body strong and I'm going to start working out three times a week, one hour a week. Now, you're probably going to go that first time and you're, you're going you're to work out for a little bit. And the people that I've talked to that have done this have told me that there's something that happens as you begin to work out. That relationship with that trainer is not just three times a week for one hour, it begins to affect other parts of your life. You begin to come home after that workout session, you say, you know what, that felt good. You know, I probably need to help enhance this a little more. I I think I need to start eating more protein and put away some of my, my foods that I don't need to eat. And so you begin to eat more healthy because you want it to fuel what happens in that one hour, three times a week. And you begin to think, you know what, I, I feel like I also could probably drink more water that would make me feel better. So, you know, I'm going to stop drinking all these sugary drinks and I'm going to drink water, uh, just a ton of water, and that's going to make me feel better. You begin to think about being in that workout session. You begin to think, you know what, there's other places around my life that I can get more healthy. Instead of taking the elevator, I'm going to take the stairs. You begin looking down at your watch and thinking, you know what, I think I can close all my rings. I'm going to start going and hitting 10,000 steps every single day to make sure I get my heart rate up at certain times during the day. You begin looking at every portion of your life and saying, you know what, I think I probably need to start going to bed a little earlier so I can wake up earlier so I can get my day moving. Somehow that three hours a week, one hour, three times a week has begun to affect multiple portions of your life. You begin to look at all your life and say, how can I be more healthy? How can I be more in shape? How does everything fit together? And in the same way, when we come to a real relationship with Jesus, when we come into relationship with the Lord God, it affects every structure, every portion of our life. When we talk about what is pure and undefiled religion, when we talk about what does it mean to be pure in our health, when we meet with the fitness instructor, we begin to think about what are the things that are making me sick and we begin to remove them. When we talk about becoming into relationship with Jesus, we begin to think, what are the things that are unpure? How can I remove them? What are the things that are impure in my life? What are the things that are causing me shame and grief and sin in my life? When we're in relationship with Jesus, we tend to do the things that are pure and that are not defiling us. And so this morning, what is pure and undefiled religion? It's when we become in contact and in relationship with Jesus in such a way that sin in our life, there's a desire for us to remove it and to get rid of it. 
a relationship with Jesus, a transformed life with Jesus, will hear the word and do the word, which would then lead to what James is giving us next. What is pure and undefiled religion? This is what James says is pure and undefiled religion is to visit widows and orphans in their affliction, which would lead us to point number two that we need to discuss this morning. How do we as God's people care for widows and orphans? This is what we've got to talk about. This morning, the Bible says that pure and undefiled religion, if you boil down so much of the faith, is that we would do what the word says to care for widows and orphans in their distress. Is it, does this mean that if all we do as a believer is care for widows and orphans in their distress, then we're good to go? I don't think so. But I think it boils down to God's heartbeat. When we get into relationship with Jesus, we begin to care for the things that God cares for. We see in Psalm chapter 68, verse 5, the Bible describes who God is. And he says he is the father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Matter of the fact is that caring for widows and orphans is a reminder of the heartbeat of who God is. That he protects the vulnerable. He protects the needy. He protects those who are having injustices done against them. And so if we are in relationship with God, if we are near to his heartbeat, then of course we care for the things that he cares for. When we love God, when we pursue the Lord, then we recognize the things that he cares for. This morning, as you watch that video, I pray that your heart was stirred for a moment. This morning we asked our Alabama Baptist Children's Home to be here because we recognize in Alabama there are 6,000 children. Think about for a moment, there are 6,000 children awaiting care and placement in a foster home in our state. When you think about the number of churches and people sitting in pews right now, it is a problem that the church is uniquely poised to help solve. By 2031, the Alabama Baptist Children's Home has a goal that churches would be caring for 1,000 children to be in foster home or foster care by the year 2031. I believe that today our church can be a part of the solution of helping. I believe that we can help. Now, this morning, I recognize that you may be sitting there saying there is no way. There is no way that I can help. We're too young. We're too old. Our house is too small. Our house is too big. Our kids are too young. Our kids are too old. We have grandkids or we don't have grandkids. There may be a thousand reasons why you may be sitting here today saying, I cannot do anything about this. There also may be somebody here today that's saying, yes, I'm in, I can do it, I'm ready. But let me talk to maybe a majority of you today that my my heartbeat would be for us. When we talk about do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. My prayer for us today is that we would not say, there's no way. My prayer for us is that we would, at the very least, at the very least, come to this passage of Scripture, widows and orphans and caring for the vulnerable around us and say, Lord, I don't know what this looks like for me and my family. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm willing to pray about you guiding me every step of the way. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how I can solve it. I don't know how I can help it. I don't have a clue what I can do. I'm scared and I'm nervous. I don't have a clue what it means and it may mean nothing, but at the very least, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, I'm willing for you to lead me. 
And if that leading means simply praying for widows and orphans, if it simply means praying for the children's home, if it means praying for foster families in our home, if it means praying about taking meals to foster families in our home, then that's what the Lord's leading you to and that's what you're called to do. Maybe it means praying about giving. Maybe it means praying about opening your home and being intentional about looking into being a foster parent. Bible calls us to care for widows and orphans in their distress. So with that, let me give you three things. They're not on your outline. These are bonus things. You can write them down on the back or the front, or you can just not write them down at all, whatever you like to do. Let me give you three quick things that you can do to care for widows and orphans in their distress. One, grow a heart of love for the vulnerable. We recognize that if God is near to the brokenhearted, if he's near the Christian spirit, if he's near to the vulnerable in our midst, then we are called to also love and be near to the vulnerable in our midst. If God loves widows and orphans, we are called as believers to love widows and orphans. And so we ask the Lord, as Lord, as we come into contact with you, if we grow in love for you, Lord, would you help us to love the people that you dearly love in your word? to be near to those who are having injustices done against them, near to those who are hurting in our world, near to the widows who have lost loved ones, near to people who need to be near to you. Would you help us to grow a heart of love for the vulnerable? Number two, would we visit widows and orphans? The Bible makes it clear right on your order, right in the scripture, that uh, religion that is pure and undefiled is that we would visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Number two, visit widows and orphans. Now this morning, I think the Lord just put on my heart, a spur of the moment kind of thing, and so I'm gonna go with it. Don't know what this looks like. Don't know how this is all gonna work, but I'm just, I'm just calling it like it is. Uh, I asked you this morning during our worship welcome time that you would take and tear this card out. I know in our midst as a faith family this morning, those in this room and maybe in a faith family who are watching from home, that we have widows in our church. Our church does a wonderful job caring for and helping people all throughout life in different stages, but I also know that we have widows in this room right now and you have needs. If you're a widow this morning and you have needs, I want you to ask you right now to take this card and just write your name on it and I want you to turn over on the prayer request back and maybe your need is you're just lonely and you need somebody to come and sit on your couch and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with you and just talk to you. Maybe you need some cards to come to your house or maybe you need uh, some families with children to show up at your house and just love on you or bake you some bread. Maybe you just say on that card, I'm lonely. Maybe you would say, you know what? I've got a leaky faucet that I cannot fix or maybe I got a light bulb that I cannot reach. My yard is out of control or my shrubs are just nasty. I need somebody just to come over to my house and help me. If you would, would you just put on the card your need at your house, your need in your life? And I think you recognize the other part of this card. Maybe you're not a widow this morning. Maybe you'd say, man, I, I've, got, I've got some time or I've got some kids. You know what? I, I want to help. I'd be glad to go over. I'd be glad to write a card to a widow. I'd be glad to go over to somebody's house and change a light bulb. I'd be glad to bring my family over and sit on the couch of a widow and sit and just talk and love on them and give them a hug. Maybe I am willing to go wherever I need to go. Maybe today your response on this card would just say your name and I'm willing to help a widow. And maybe if you've got some special skills that you want to talk about down there that can help a widow, or maybe you'd say, you know, I'd love to bake some fresh bread for somebody in our church family. Maybe this morning, that's your response on on this card. Or maybe you just say, you know, I'm going to pray that I would be a foster home or that I'm going to pray about fostering a family. I would ask that all of us across this room, whether you fill out one of these cards every single week or whether you have never filled out a card in your life, to simply take this little card and pray, Lord, what is my response this morning? 
You leave it right there in your pew. You can put it in one of those black boxes in the back. But I believe as our church has done for years that I have seen and witnessed with my eyes, when there are needs, our church rises up to meet them. As I'm reading this passage and it says, visit widows and orphans in their distress, it's simple. And I don't want us to be guilty of listening to the word and deceiving ourselves. I want us to do what it says. I want us to visit widows and orphans in their distress. I want us as a church to be part of helping with 6,000 children in foster care right now that need to be placed. I want our church to rise up and be a part of helping. But to do that, we can't listen to the word. We can't walk out of this place and say, well, that was nice. That was great. I can't wait to see what happens. It's going to take us simply coming to the Lord and say, Lord, my, my hands are open. Wherever you would call us as a family to, whatever you would call our home to, whatever you call our finances and our prayer life, we're willing. We're ready. Would you teach us? This morning, uh, as you leave, that Alabama Baptist Children's Home is right outside in the Welcome Center. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you just want to go by and see what they do. Just walk out and have a conversation. There's some friendly faces back there that you may recognize that would be glad to meet you and receive you and just tell you the good things that God is doing through our children's home. But with that, there's a second part to the scripture. The Bible says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and... The Bible doesn't just say, hey, friends, all we're called to do is just go out and care for widows and orphans, and that's all we've got to do. It says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So number three, how do we keep ourselves unstained from the world? James is very clear that our calling is not simply to be Pharisees. That our calling in this world is not to be Pharisees that would simply say, you know what? I've been to systematic theology, and you know what? I think I've got this thing figured out. Oh, look at all you people. Y'all have so much work to do. I've got it all figured out. I've been to seminary. I've got my master's degree. I've read a lot of big books. And I know a lot about God. I know a lot. The Pharisees had all this religious knowledge. And they knew everything they needed to know. They had all this great knowledge about God. And they looked down on everybody that there was. To, I mean, they had it all together. They were good Pharisees. But you saw all throughout Scripture that Jesus was concerned for the Pharisees because they wouldn't lift a finger to help the poor. They would know everything about God, but when poor and hurting people would come around them, they would look the other way and turn the other cheek. Not in the positive sense of the word. The frustration with the Pharisees is while they had head knowledge, they had biblical knowledge, they wouldn't lift their finger to help the poor and the needy that were around them. So certainly we don't want to be Pharisaical, but we also don't want to be on the other side. The Bible also calls us to say we can't just be out in the world meeting human needs without the name of Jesus. We can't be out in the world just handing out stuff without recognizing that we also have a calling to be unstained and unpolluted from this world. Personal purity and personal compassion go hand in hand with one another. We are called to be personally pure, listening to the attributes and character of God and the commandments of Lord. We're called to listen to his biblical instruction and flesh it out in our world. Personal holiness and compassion for others go hand in hand for one another. And this is a tension point for all of us because we are called in this world to be in the world but unstained by the world. And can I tell you, that is no easy task. We are not called to be isolationist. We're not called to run from the pains and the problems of the world. We're not called to go to the other side of the street when we see hurting around us. 
We're, we're not called to live in communes away from the hurting and the, the stains of the world. We're called to live in the world as believers. So let me give you two quick things, again, not on your outline, but can be helpful. Number one, knowing the word, we know the tensions and the tendencies to be sober too. Knowing the word, we know the tensions and the tendencies of where our gospel and the word of God comes into contact, into conflict with the world. To know the word is to know the tensions and tendencies and to be sober too. And secondly, we have to remove the stains before they set in. In our family, we have three kids and our kids are not the, um, uh, just the most uh, wonderful eaters in the world. And um, we go through a lot of this stuff in our house, uh, a lot of this stuff. I mean, we have bottles upon bottles upon bottles of stain treater in our home. Uh, and we use it religiously. Uh, my wife is a, a very clean person. Um, she loves a clean house. In fact, I got this stain bottle out last night to put by my Bible so I'd be ready to take it. And before I woke up this morning, she had already cleaned this up and put it back in its place. Uh, and so she had to bring it to me early this morning. That's, how, that, that's her style, right? She's a clean person. We get in from going out and having pizza. And uh, the first thing she does is take the kids' clothes off and she goes to the back and she just begins spraying this stuff over every stain because she knows the longer those stains sit in that fabric, the more difficult it gets to get them out. And so, man, as soon as we come in, the stains come. I mean, she's just spraying this stuff over every stain, going and putting it in the uh, uh, washing machine and just rubbing around, making sure it is clean before it is ready to be washed and dried because she knows the longer those stains sit around those clothes, the more difficult they're going to be to get off. And can I tell you this morning that when it comes to Jesus, he has no trouble getting the stains of sin from our lives. Let me make that crystal clear. But can I tell you from my personal experience, what troubles me is the longer I keep the stains and the pollution of sin around me, the more difficult it is for me to remove them from my life. See, God has no problem removing the stains of sin from my life, but I have a little bit of trouble at times when I surround myself and inundate myself in sin. At times it's hard for me to remove them. It's hard when I've become so familiar with sin and stains of sin that at times it becomes difficult for me to live apart from them and not be polluted by them. And so can I remind you, one of the easiest ways that we can remain unstained from the world is to recognize it and remove it at the point of contact. As soon as we see a stain, we get, the, we get the word out and we wipe it off. We get rid of it. We remove it and say, Lord, re remove this from me. And we move forward apart from it rather than keeping it on our person. So we clean up. We are focused on what God is focused on. And friends, these two verses have a wealth and a depth of meaning that we must pray through what it means for us. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, that we would visit orphans and widows and their affliction and keep ourselves unstained from the world. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, this morning I, I recognize that these are heavy passages that require a lengthy response in our souls. Lord, right now, if there are widows in our church and our congregation that need care and love, Lord, I pray that they would just simply write on their card their needs. 
And Lord, on the flip side, I, I do pray that there are people in our church in our midst, as I heard at 830, who are saying, I'm really, I'm, I'm ready. Tell me where to go and I'm willing to go and I'm ready to go. I pray that across our congregation, just as informally and as spirit-led as this can be, that needs would be met in your, in your name. As we look at 6,000 children right now in Alabama's foster care system that need short-term or long-term homes, but I pray that today in our church would be a catalyst day for families to step up and say, you know, I'm willing to get licensed and I'm willing to open my home or I'm willing to pray for others. I'm willing to support church families who are fostering or adopting. I'm willing to be there to be respite care or whatever it looks like. Lord, I don't know, but I'm just willing. Or at the end of the day, that's what I call our church towards is just to be willing to say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm ready. Whatever you would call me to, I'm willing. Even if I don't understand it, I don't know where it is, Lord, I'm a willing vessel to be used by you in whatever way you would have me. Lord, help us to grow in our relationship with you that would fuel our growth towards your people. So help us, Lord. I recognize that I have a long way to go. And so I need your help every step of the way and in every day. Lord, I love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.